Today we're going to be in 2 Timothy 2. Uh, to continue, continue our Entrust series, we're going to be in verses 20 to 24. Um, did everyone else really enjoy Luke's sermon last week? Uh, it was really cool. What uh, a good thing for the opportunity for our young men to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, should be uh, greatly encouraged and encouraging. So I'll start by reading out of the Lord's word, 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 24. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, verse 22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps <clears throat> grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to uh, hear from you, to hear your word. And also to worship you. You are a great God and you have done amazing things. And your plan, Lord, to, to rescue humanity through Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you've granted uh, to us, the undeserving. Um, where else could we go but to you, Jesus? And so open our hearts, Holy Spirit. Let your word speak to us in a way that we understand it. Give us your understanding uh, today as we discuss this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So all, all month we've been in the Entrust series. And to give a little background, that's the second letter to Timothy. Paul is probably in his 60s. Timothy's probably uh, in his 30s. Paul is encouraging Timothy not only to strive to be clean, the clean, honorable vessel in service to God in this passage, but in general, he's saying, Timothy, you're to entrust this to other men. He is to take the word of God and pass it on. Um, again, to reiterate what, what Luke said and what Kevin said, he's not even telling Timothy what to say. You know the truth. You know the gospel. But here's, here's kind of like how to live. Here's how to, to, to work out your... your um, your relationships. So Timothy is being mentored essentially by Paul, the Apostle Paul. All believers are called to a greater and greater service to God for his good works by being honorable and approved. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So Timothy is to entrust and teach the teaching to other men who can in turn pass it along to others. The charge um, given to Timothy is more than just data transmission, right? It's more than just here's some information, keep it going. Um, it requires a life, we learn, 
It requires a life that is worthy because this is a great task. It must be lived out, not just spoken, not just words with our mouth. It must be lived, and it must be passed on to others via relationships um, that Timothy had with these other men. Um, so he takes, Paul takes Timothy through some key features of this kind of life in this second chapter. Um, first, in, verse, in verses 1 and 8, he says, Be strengthened by the grace of Jesus. Kevin addressed that, and Rob addressed that two weeks ago. Endure, secondly, endure a share in the suffering of Christ. And um, Rob gave us a great uh, message on how it would cost us to live this kind of life. There's a cost to it. He talks about this in verses 3, 9, and 10. And then don't get entangled in civilian pursuits, which is like rabbit trails and sidetracks. You guys remember the analogy of the the soldier, uh, the farmer, and um, the athlete back in verses 14 to 17. And so moving forward from there, Luke took, took us through last week. Um, this section of Second Timothy is how to is like a primer on how to live for God, how to be approved by God, to lead others into Christ's truths, and to teach others well. This passage that we're dealing with today is the latter latter part of that, and Paul's delivering the specifics on how to be workers approved by God. Um, thank you, Luke, for for laying that out for us last week. It was really good. Verse fifteen. To go back, it says, do, yourself, do, do your best pre- to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. To, so to better be used by God to do his good works. Timothy and all those that um, he will later teach, all the way down to us, are to strive to be approved, approved workers. That means that we must engage in Actual, real effort to keep ourselves approved. Um, the Greek word for approved used in this passage is dokimos, which in what it means is tried, genuine, esteemed, and acceptable. The Greek word for the antonym, for the opposite of, uh, of dokimos, is adokimos, and it's the word for disapproved. And it means worthless, that which has not stood the test, that which has been shown to be a sham, or that which is found to be unsuitable and has therefore been rejected. So what we're, we're being told here by Paul Timothy, through Timothy is to be the opposite of those things. We're to be approved, found approved, found to be suitable, and not rejected. So this what this says you can't read this and not think, okay, what this says about what does this say about working for the Lord in this manner? It says that this is a great thing, clearly. To pass along God's instruction is truly a holy and noble task, something to be taken seriously. To the effect that, in order to engage in this work, Paul is saying that we must be a worker with no reason to be ashamed due to disapproval, due to adokimos, the Greek. And so, to explain this concept, so that's all the background. And Paul uses a a really cool, vivid analogy of vessels in a great house. And um, Christians were the vessels in this analogy. 
So in their day, obviously, like now, a vessel was a container of sort. It was something, it was a utility, it was a bucket, it was a basin, it was a dish. In modern terms, we'd call them dishes or housewares, maybe. Uh, these are items that exist to, to do a general task or something specific. And he groups the vessels in his analogy into two categories, greater and a lesser category. And so, I've scoured my house and brought some vessels today. If Paul went to all the effort to use an analogy, by golly, we're going to use the analogy. So here we have some vessels. And so I'll start with the first category, honorable vessels. And he says vessels of gold and silver. I actually looked this up. I don't own this. This is an ancient Greek vessel made of gold. And um, mine is in the cleaner, so I had to get a picture off the Internet. Uh, so honorable vessels are prized. They're used for honorable purposes. This would be one that is something is nice. It's made from a high-quality material. Clean, typically. It's beautiful to look at. Typically not damaged. Typically not scratched or broken. Imagine, if you will, a fancy serving plate. Something you'd have at your house. Something that you'd pull out and use to serve an esteemed guest like your grandmother, if, if you love your grandmother, which most of us do. Or like, you know, if... if your, your best friend from out of town. Um, so a vessel, like, a vessel like this has these attributes that, of new, clean, undamaged, is used to carry, carry and transport, essentially, valuable contents, like a choice meal on a serving plate, or a fine wine in a crystal glass, or exotic meats and rare cheeses on like a, a really nice handmade walnut charcuterie board from... Who's your barn and table? Um, back when that was running. Uh, so something like this ancient Greek vessel, they brought this out when it was time for niceness. So that, that's the first category. The second category Paul gets to is dishonorable vessels. These vessels are like, and he says wood and clay, and these, this is the more common materials they had back then. They didn't have plastic. Uh, so <laughs> these vessels or for common or unsanitary or everyday use. This would be something like a trash can or old cardboard box or in the attic or a cat litter box in the basement. And items of this sort are typically inexpensive. They're typically unsightly and unclean. They're dirty. Um, they're often damaged to some degree. Th these things you would put away. Yeah, they're in your house. Yeah, you have them. Yeah, you use them. But when my, when my nice guest from out of town comes over, I'm like, hey, kids, you know, take the oil pan out of the house and put it back in the garage. How did it even get in here in the first place? Um, these are dishonorable vessels. Um, common dishonorable. Now, they do have some use. As we said, God can use anybody. Paul himself, with the history of being an avid persecutor and enemy of the church, was transformed by the Lord, by Jesus, met him on the road to Damascus. And so he's a prime example of that. <clears throat> but he was transformed. So I brought six vessels from my house. And this is, this is a milk crate. Everybody has a couple of these in, in their garage. And I use this to keep 
um, things like sandpaper and things to repair drywall and, you know, those the rolls of drywall tape. And this lives in my basement. It's dirty, it's cracked, it's common, it's cheap, it's plastic. This is a vessel of dishonor. Now this one, does everybody know what this is? It's not a tri-cornered hat. We're not in the uh, the Renaissance reenactment. Um, this is an oil pan. Most men know what that is. That's to change the oil in your car. It's so dishonorable it doesn't even live in the house. It stays out of the house. And I'm not allowed to bring this in the house. Um, so that's to change the oil. And then moving up the line, this is obvious. This is the cat food bowl. It's in the house, but it's in the back corner of the basement. Typically, we don't really care about keeping this thing super clean. If it gets damaged, I'm still going to pour water in it for the cat. Well, not me. I'll make a kid do it. Um, You know, we're moving up the line here. So this is an everyday serving plate. If any one of you come into my house, this is what we're feeding you with, this plate. And this is in the middle of the line, more or less, because... It's, it's pretty common, it's pretty everyday, but it's, it's still worthy of an honorable use, which is serving guests. It's got a minor, maybe a very faint crack in it. It's pretty, it's pretty nice, but it's not perfect. Um, this is a wine glass, always in good shape. And here we have an even fancier glass at the very top of my line. And so when I was thinking about this, I was... I was looking at these things, and I was thinking, interestingly, the farther up the line they go to honorable, the more they have to do with relationships. So this has zero to do with relationships, right? I could keep my my sandpaper and supplies like that in a cardboard box, and nobody would care. I don't I don't bring my friends over and say, "Man, look where I'm keeping my stuff now in this in this cardboard box." Um, this doesn't involve relationships at all. I changed the oil in my vehicle by myself in the garage, and nobody will help me. So <laughs> we're getting up the line. You know, this this is to feed a cat. Do you, can you have a relationship with a cat? Maybe I'm seeing shaking heads. I'm seeing nodding heads. A little bit of both. <laughs> so... Here we are up here, we're at the dinner plate. Now we're really getting into something that's involved in relationships with other human beings. Um, I didn't put this at the top, though, because I can microwave some leftovers and eat that by myself, and there's really no relationships involved. But at the same time, I could bring it out for some dinner guests. Now, this is a wine glass. A wine glass only comes out, only comes out when relationships are involved, when people are together, and they're talking, and they're enjoying each other's company, this could come out. It won't come out when I'm changing my oil. If it did, that would make it, that'd be really weird. Now, this is an even fancier glass of sorts. And I brought this because this has only been used one time in our household. It's the most prized thing I could find This was used 23 years ago when I asked my wife to marry her. Kicking off the most important relationship I have, aside from the one I have with Christ. And so this gives you a picture. I wish I had some wood and clay, and I wish I had some gold and silver vessels uh, to really nail it home. But 
uh, I'm just not there yet. Um, and will I ever get there? Probably not. So, so to completely understand the concept, I always find it off, often helpful to look at the opposite. To look at the opposite. So let's imagine misusing the standard, right, that Paul's laying out. The standard of, standard of approval. Imagine mismatching the honorable and the dishonorable. Imagine if I took my wine glass and I put paint thinner in it and kept my paint thinner in this wine glass. I could never again bring that glass out when one of you guys comes over and give you wine in it because I had paint thinner in it. That thing is only, you could only throw it away at that point. And if I did bring it out, I'd get smacked. What are you doing? They don't, they deserve better, you know. Well, I cleaned it really well. It, It doesn't even matter. If that has held paint thinner, it's done. It's been dishonored. Um, so you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't use that at a dinner party after that. You wouldn't feed the cat on your fine china plate. And if you do, you've got, you've got other problems. I real, as I say that, I realize there's probably people who do this. I just don't know any, so you're all pretty great in my, in my book. Um, you, you wouldn't, you know, on, you wouldn't put your compost in, in, you know, in a nice container in your in your fridge, and, or, or you know, onto your grill or something. Um, you wouldn't cook medium rare steaks on on a grill that has been used to store like this oil pan or, or anything like that. Honorable uses are for honorable vessels, and honorable vessels are the only type qualified to hold or carry. Honorable contents. So putting the dishonorable into the honorable dishonors the honorable. On the flip side, you wouldn't serve steak to your grandparents in this cat bowl or to your best friend. You wouldn't keep your clean clothes in in like the 55-gallon oil drum out back that some of you have. And it would be a travesty to keep like an heirloom wedding ring or some like handed down family jewelry in a cardboard box in your basement or in this this tote with holes in it. Putting the honorable into the dishonorable dishonors the honorable. Do you guys catch that? Both times the honorable gets dishonored. So Paul establishes three things through this vivid analogy. So first... We can, we can surmise that the holy word of God, which Timothy and us have been entrusted with, is of the utmost highest honor. Second, the task of entrusting, as he did to Timothy, to teach or otherwise pass on God's word must be an honorable act. And third, a and B, and now we have C, it's only appropriate for an honorable thing, as God's word, to be born or carried or transported in a vessel of honor. So if you imagine the word of God as the contents of a vessel, with the vessel being a Christian life, we see that we've got something of supreme value that should never be transported in a vessel that's unworthy. Or, as he says earlier, by a worker who is unapproved. We're getting to the unapproved part of that. 
So just like we recoil at the, at the misuse of these honorable vessels here at this end, or the misuse of the dishonorable vessels at this end, um, we would recoil at the thought of carrying God's word in a life. We should recoil at this thought by carrying God's word in a life that is not worthy. And that's what he's saying. So you wouldn't want to be a state, in a state of sin or dishonor and try to pass God's word. Psalm 50, verse 16 says this, But to the wicked, God says, now he's talking to wicked people, he says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? So when we are faced with this idea that we should become honorable, well, the next question is what? How do we know? How do we know if we're honorable or not? What's the standard by which we measure our honor? Am I I honorable enough to carry God's word? It's nothing less than the approval of God himself, the ultimate judge of all of all vessels. He, God alone sets the standard of which is honorable and dishonorable. In verse 15, it says, do your best to present yourself to God. We're presenting ourselves to God as one approved. Our lives are presented to him. He knows all. He sees all. And he is the final judge, the final decision maker the final approver, approver about our level of honor. So we've got dishonorable and honorable vessels. And we understand that God judges which is which, and only him. Um, and he's the one we present ourselves to, as I said in verse 15. Now, the big question, how do we become? How do we make sure we're the honorable vessel? How do we, co- how do we become the worker who's approved for this job. We want to be that worker. So the task at hand in um, that, that uh, Paul is passing on to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1, 9, he says, who saved us and led us, led us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes. The task at hand that God calls us to is his own purposes, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. That, that really messes with your head if you think about it. Um, we all should desire to be used by God for his purposes. He's the king of the universe. He made everything. We don't have to fully understand his purposes, but we know his purposes are right and true and correct, and our desire is to be used for God's purposes. It's our ultimate destiny, and it's the reason we exist. An approved worker is one who desires, first of all, to fulfill this calling from God. God's plan for us is not to remain in dishonor, but to grow out of it. And since his purposes are honorable, and he chooses to use the hands and feet of the body of Christ to fulfill his purposes, to do his work, then we must strive to become honorable. Useful, a worker approved. To to keep clean and not be vessels of dishonor. So it must be said that this is not about salvation. This is not a salvation issue. Jesus is the only one who took our sins once and for all. And there's nothing we can do. There's no amount of pulling on your bootstraps that we can do to save ourselves. 
He saved us by his work on the cross, and now he desires for us to walk in unrighteousness and doing what he commands for God's purposes, for the Father's purposes. You can't gain even one ounce of salvation through personal effort. We're not saved by good works. We're saved to good works. We're saved for good works. By following his plan and his purposes, uh, we will grow. We'll become justified, sanctified, and approved, being made useful to the master of the great house. So the message here is not for the unsaved. It's for us. It's not for those outside of the great house. It's not for those who haven't yet been brought into the family of God. And it's not for those who have not been, who have not called on Christ for their salvation. So having been saved, we're now the vessels in this great house, but that doesn't give us the right to, to avoid or you know, avoid approval or avoid being an honorable vessel. There's additional effort that we must take. And this is interesting uh, because, and as I, as I just said, the gospel is all Christ. So you think, I don't have to do a thing. You know, just believe. Well, that's true. But there's a call here. Paul is calling Timothy to become an honorable vessel. Um, in verse 15, to go back there, he pointedly tells him, do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God. He uses the, the Greek word, spodazo. Did I say that right, Luke? Uh, which is to make haste or give diligence with eagerness. I'm supposed to make haste with diligence and eagerness to be approved for God's good works. We are called, in other words, to try hard. It's kind of hard to hear that, isn't it? But there is a part for us to do, to do our best. So, but the Lord did leave us hanging. I like to say that uh, because it's true. Timothy and us, by extension, are given a plan for this trying, a plan for this doing our best to become honorable. And it's found in the verses that follow, verses 21 down to 24. So we'll look at those in order. Verse 21 says, cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. So in broad terms, Paul is instructing us to cast off dishonorable things. We're supposed to cast it off. Thoughts and actions, like the paint thinner and the wine glass, Accepting and being careless with sinful things in our lives will dishonor you as a vessel. It will dishonor me as a vessel. And it would leave me unapproved and ultimately less useful for God's honorable and greater purposes. So, verse 21, clean clean yourself from what is dishonorable. And you notice it said clean yourself. It's getting back to the personal effort that we're supposed to apply. We're not just supposed to kick back and go, well, I hope Jesus fixes everything and it's wrong in my life. He saved you, and now we're supposed to apply ourselves. Verse 22. So, he says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So now we're getting more specific. Paul tells us to flee or to run from the passions of youth. So this is not an instruction just for young people. As we know, all of us who are older, sinful desires that we have in our lives, these youthful passions uh, that he's talking about here, they start in your youth, but they don't 
they're not just for the youth. They continue through all ages. At a young age, when a, t- a child's self-will kicks in, they become aware of themselves, and from then on, their natural state is one of, of selfishness. It's one of self-idolatry, and we've all, all parents know that. you got this little angel, you know, just a little round, chubby angel. You can almost see the wings, and then whatever the age that happens, it's like, now wait a minute. I like certain things. I'm happy when I get my way. And they just, they just boom, they figure it out, and the next thing you know, um, passions of youth kick in, and then, then they have to be led and parented. Um, selfishness and self-idolatry are at the heart of these youthful passions. Do like Jesus did, and set your face like a flint against sin. In Isaiah 50, uh, talking about Jesus, the prophet says, Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. We represent ourselves, workers approved, with no reason to be ashamed. Setting our faces like flint towards what is good and against what is evil. The second part of this verse, verse 22, gives us the opposite of these evil desires of youth. It says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursuing these things is pursuing honor. It's pursuing becoming a vessel of honor. And we don't do it alone. The second part of that said we're instructed to do it along with others who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's why we get together here as a church. We are in like-minded company. We are surrounding ourselves with others who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And friends, that's one of the answers to how to make this work. Um, So if you have friends like this, you want to hang out with them. You want to join your friends, join your, your community in pursuing what is honorable. It's crucial to surround yourself with like-minded people to obtain anything that's worthwhile. For example, if you want to get in shape, you're not going to hang out with all your pals at the donut shop. You're not going to do it. You want to, stand, you want to surround yourself with like athletic friends, and they're, then they're going, to, they're going to pull you along. You want to be more creative? Hang out with creative types, and their way of thinking will rub off on you. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I bet most of you didn't even know that was in the Bible. I didn't. I thought that was just an old saying, like from the 50s or something. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's the idea here. Conversely, good company is that which strengthens you And helps you pursue honor. Helps you pursue righteousness. Verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. Uh, He's being real specific here for a reason. He leans into this issue earlier in this letter. And in other places like in Titus. Because it's a common pitfall that's easy to get into. It's pretty simple. I've, and so because he talks about this in a number of places, and we, we, we hit on this last week in Luke's sermon, I've, I've just compiled them all together here to make the complete statement. Avoid foolish arguments. Avoid stupid arguments. Avoid things that produce quarrels. 
from this verse. 2 Timothy 2.23. If it produces quarrels, don't talk about it. Next, avoid controversy. Avoid quarrels about words. From 1 Timothy 6.4. Moving on, avoid things that produce envy. Avoid, avoid things that produce dissension. Avoid slander. Avoid evil suspicions and avoid friction. And that's from 1 Timothy 6.5. You guys feel this is all the same kinds of things. This is interrelational arguments and discussions and workings within a relationship. Uh, moving on, avoid irreverent babble. Avoid contradictions of false knowledge from 1 Timothy 6.20. Avoid irreverent myths. Avoid silly myths. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Has anyone in this room heard a silly myth lately? Maybe in the last month? There's a ton of them because the election's around the corner. Although I, I don't know that they ever actually died down at all. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says we should avoid that, those silly myths. Uh, avoid foolish controversies. Avoid foolish genealogies. Avoid the foolish dissensions. Avoid foolish quarrels about the law. Also from Titus 3, 9, another letter of Paul. To remember you remember this. Remember how how agonizingly he goes over this point. Next time you find yourself in a discussion about something which divides. We need to focus instead on keeping the main thing the main thing, and that's the grace of Christ and the work he did for us on the cross. That's the main thing. We don't want to be divided. Unity is highly, highly encouraged and praised in, in the New Testament for us as Christians. So, Christ is supreme. Remember that. Verse 24. Verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. So, to wrap this up, we're instructed to um, strive for and practice these honorable attributes Honorable things on this end. Kindness, teaching God's word, it's interesting, and being free of resentment. Basically, um, patiently enduring evil. These things are like the fine wine that we would put in, in the vessels at this end of the spectrum. These are honorable things, and they only belong in vessels of honor. These are the valuable things that you would never find in this oil pan or in this milk crate. Two of these things are outward actions, kindness and the ability to teach or to pass on to others the contents of God's word, the, the attributes of the Lord. We're supposed to pass those on. So even unbelievers who cannot fully understand what, what kindness is, they put up these just be kind signs in the yards. Anyone seen those, those rainbow signs? I think they're kind of missing the point. The true meaning of those signs is everyone has their own truth, so don't offend me with what you think is true. That's the real meaning behind that sign. Contrary to that nonsense, we believers get our understanding of kindness from God's word, the true arbiter of all that is true and right. Kindness is never based on a lie. Kindness can hurt, and kindness leads to repentance. Let a man, let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, 
It is oil for my head. Psalms 141, verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It's, it's a kindness. Or, do you presume on the riches of its kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? From Romans 2, 4. Kindness means something different from what the world thinks. We get our definition from the Bible. Number two on that on that line, able to teach. At first glance, this seems like something most of us can ignore, right? I mean, I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm not in theology school. It's, it's like a, I, I do this. Like I, I build houses or I, I, you know, I put on roofs or you know, I, I do bookkeeping. Um, so, however, one mark of a Christian is being able to pass on the attributes and the, uh, the news about the gospel. We need to be able to intelligently discuss our faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We can all do that, right? Why are you hopeful? Because Jesus is on the throne. We have to be able to, at the bare minimum, do that from 1 Peter 3.15. And pursuing this ability will gain more and more knowledge of the Scriptures. It'll happen. Start reading it, you'll gain more and more of this knowledge. When Paul says the Lord's servant is who must be able to teach, he's widening the idea past Timothy, right, who he's talking to in this letter, and his leadership role. And he's, he's, he's expanding that to all believers because we're all God's servants. We're all the servants who this applies to. Anyone who teaches... As I was telling a friend of mine, they quickly discover that they learn more about that topic if they have to teach it next week. Or, I know this friend needs this information, like, I better, I better brush up on this. Teaching is a great way to learn. Great way to learn. You have to be able to live it and teach it. That's why we stay in the Word. Stay in God's word, the Bible. The first two were these outward actions, kindness and teaching. And the third quality uh, from verse 24 is the ability to patiently endure evil. In other words, evil exists, right? It's not going anywhere anytime soon. How we react to it can honor us or can dishonor us. I can lose, I can lose my marbles and lose my cool when something evil happens. And I can start, you know, bad-mouthing people. I can act in all sorts of dishonorable ways, or I cannot. And so that is an actual factor in becoming an honorable vessel for the Lord. So to recap, we are called to be approved workers for God. And we do this, how? By becoming the honorable vessels. Approved by God as a worker to carry his most precious Word to others. God's word is precious, and we want to be approved to carry it. We do this not only by the grace of Christ, which he reminds us to hang on to in verse 1, but we do this by trying hard, remember that word, with diligence and eagerness to rid ourselves of what is dishonorable in our lives so that we can become the more honorable vessel. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you drive drive these words into our hearts. We thank you for your 
instruction and your teaching that you've passed down through all the ages to us, Holy Spirit. We accept what we hear from your word. And I pray that the rest of the service, Lord, would be worship to you as we think about you, as we praise you, as we give of our tithes and offerings. In Jesus' name, amen.